Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Gabriel Noah Braun. He is director of the Center for Academic and Intellectual Freedom at Northern Michigan University. Uh, Gabby, you're in the... Uh, Gabby and I know each other. Gabby, are you in the English department also? I'm in the, uh, I'm in the Department Officially? of English as well at, okay. at NMU. Yep. Okay. And he also... And I'm uh, here in Israel... At the University of Haifa's Herzl Institute, yeah, for, for two years, you told me, so uh, very nice, very nice. Uh, he had an interesting essay review recently entitled Canceling Israel uh, in Telos, which we will discuss, but first, uh, first, welcome, welcome, Professor Brom, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark, it's great to be here. I'm a huge fan of uh, First Things and of the First Things podcast and of your work. Thank you, thank you. Well, let me ask about the center. For academic and intellectual freedom, what is it? Well, I had the uh, pleasure, honor, and privilege of taking a sabbatical year from Northern Michigan University to spend at the university at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And uh, when I got back, everything had changed. I I I tell you, it was tectonic but we didn't have a language to talk about it yet. Try to put your mind back around 2016. And remember, we, we were not familiar with the phrases uh, safe space, trigger warnings, microaggressions. We're used to those now. But at the time, those were not in common parlance. So I had been away for a year, a little more than a year. And when I got back, the campus was full of snowflakes, although we didn't have the term. The students had gotten fragile. The faculty were very deferential to the students, and the male faculty were very deferential to the women and to the feminists. Um, not, that not that that was entirely new, uh, but it was new qualitatively. Um, my administration was encouraging faculty to treat the students with kid gloves. Uh, men were feeling that they should uh, give over space uh, to women. Otherwise, um, people would get upset, and uh, particularly the students uh, were complaining. They wouldn't come to the teacher anymore. Back in the day, students came to office hours. When I got back, as I say, everything had changed. Students would send a complaint by email to the department head. They wanted something. And the department head would say, well, give it to them. Now, me being from an older generation, I would say, can't you ask them to come to me to protect the integrity of the classroom environment, the authority of the teacher? Well, there was no, no such thing as, as that anymore. And um, I think you get what I'm saying, because what I had stumbled onto was um, the world of iGen, the world of Gen Z, which had, had 
come to take over uh, during my sabbatical. And um, so I, I started up uh, unknowingly what I really, I didn't know what I was doing, but I started the Center for Academic and Intellectual Freedom because I felt that viewpoint diversity was under attack. There was no uh, spirit of uh, free speech or, or no sense really anymore of the importance of open inquiry. Everything was about not offending victim groups. All of this is familiar now, but at the time I did not know what I was dealing with. And so I, I, I started um, up a center for, for uh, academic and intellectual freedom, CAIF. We got support from the Institute for Humane Studies, the um, American Council of Trustees and Alumni quickly named us an oasis of excellence, which we were very proud of. We involved students and faculty, and we brought speakers to enhance viewpoint diversity. We, we had no, no conservatives, no mainstream liberals. We had radicals, we had Marxists, we had deconstructionists. I brought to campus Mark Lilla just before his book came out, just as his book came out, The, uh, the Once and Future Liberal, because I happen to follow his work, because I, 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 I read books. I brought uh, Greg Lukianoff right after the uh, Coddling of the American Mind came out. Thomas Cushman from the Freedom, uh, Freedom Project. Patrick Deneen and I were corresponding. Before his book uh, uh, got to be a bestseller, his book Why Liberalism Failed, I was following his work, just as a matter of course, being a, you know, an academic interested in, in public discourse. I'd been following his work for years, so I got him to campus where I was teaching and where I had started this Center for Academic and Intellectual Freedom, just as his book turned into paperback. And we're a little off the beaten track up there in northern Michigan. We had um, a number of other uh, speakers um, in, over the course of several years, and uh, we got some support from students and faculty, and we got snubbed, and we got complaints as well from the gender studies types and so on. You, in, in our discussions, though, yeah, you've said that while there might be some resistance here and there, some grumbling about you bringing people like Lilla to campus, after, you know, after he'd done that New York Times op-ed and then the book came out uh, going against identity liberalism. Boy, did they, they, they attacked him viciously, but you brought him to campus. Oh. And the yes. thing is that, that overall the administration was, was pretty supportive, has been okay with you, yeah? Yes and no. Definitely, yes, there were some. Uh, one or two, for sure, who I could not have uh, made it without them. Um, there's, there's um, no doubt about it. I had some great support, kind of a little bit behind the scenes and a little bit in public from one or two ad administrators, uh, and that can make a huge difference. Um, so I'm grateful for that. My campus had been ranked, by the way, as one of FIRE's Foundation for Individual Rights in Education worst campuses worst campuses for free speech in 2016. I didn't know that when I started the Center for Academic and Intellectual Freedom that the very next year, just a matter of months apart from that judgment. I don't know if that was on their minds, but maybe. 
I discovered this subsequently when uh, I also learned that our campus received a write-up in 2018 uh, as well in Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt's book, The Coddling of the American Mind. We got several pages on my campus as one of the worst for freedom of speech. So I felt vindicated. I had sensed that something was wrong. I knew the classroom wasn't what it used to be. I knew department meetings weren't quite what they what they used to be. We were supposed to be worried about microaggressions. Yeah. You mean pronouns? Since we, pronouns, uh, safe safe spaces. I grew up with the idea of Socratic uh, teaching and challenging students. You know, uh, in in grad school and as a, as a young teacher, as a um, as I started my career. Uh, but suddenly. You know, Mike, I thought Mike, I had just gotten back from the Middle East where we worry about macroaggressions. I just came back from 2014 to, to early 16 in Jerusalem where we had something called the stabbing intifada. Well, do you know what a stabbing intifada is, Mark? I, I do not. It's when they it's when they stab you. It's when, <laughs> it's when you're it's when you're waiting for a bus and they come up and stab you. Now, that's a macroaggression by anyone's terms. I got from that environment. Uh, were you know to, to back to Michigan, and people said that they felt uh, devastated if you kind of uh, happened to make some kind of faux pas or choose the wrong word or use the wrong pronoun. And so I um, I knew that free speech was under attack, and I felt it. I I gotta say it was intuitive. I was moved to start up this center. I got support with outside grants. I brought big names. Just before they really got huge, in some cases, I was fortunate in that way. And um, uh, yeah, yeah, some of the, some of the admin wanted to support us. The gender studies crowd, I later uh, learned, essentially boycotted us. I didn't notice because we had several hundreds of people out to all of our events, from Patrick Deneen, you know, who really had a packed house for his best-selling book, to Greg Lukianoff. That's great. I mean, we had the headliners. Yeah, it was huge at our little campus. One of my student uh, interns said to me, Gabby, did you notice the, the gender studies people never come to our events? This was after, like, into the second year. And I said, no, I hadn't noticed. What, what, what make, uh, you know, actually, I had not really thought of it. But the student was right. Contrary to what I would have assumed people committed to identity politics on my campus did not want to come and debate, take the microphone and ask Mark Lilla a question. Dr. Lilla, you're one of the most prominent intellectuals in America. You say identity politics is bad. I say it's good. Here, no, no, they stayed away. But so what? Because, you know, the majority of uh, people interested in ideas came out to support us. All right, let's turn to your essay, Canceling Israel. It was in Telos, and it's a review of two books by Carrie Nelson. And first, let me ask you just a definition. What is the BDS movement? What do those letters stand for? And what is the movement out to do? BDS stands for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions. And the movement is out to wipe a UN member state off the map. It's not North Korea, it's not Cuba, it's not um, any other nefarious uh, 
power. It's a, a state of uh, six million Jews and two million Arabs, uh, Druze and others, roughly the size of New Jersey, roughly the population of New York City. It's called uh, the state of Israel. And BDS is a movement that ostensibly started up around 2005, supposedly emerging out of Palestinian civil society, but really, in fact, I can tell you, rooted in American and British academe. And in brief, what, what these professors are doing is they're looking at Israel as one of a constellation of issues that form the left constellation of concerns. And if they're for women and against men, for blacks and against whites, then they're for Arabs and against Jews. That's their level of sophistication when it comes to the Middle East conflict. Intersectionality, the view that all conflicts add up to one, has become the dominant norm, certainly in, in feminism and gender studies, but more broadly in humanities programs, since they're dominated above all by, I think, the, the, the leading ideology of feminism. If there's one thing you can't question on a college campus today, one ideology, you know, I would say we all know what it is. Um, it's it's feminism. You can question capitalism. Uh, I suppose you could even have doubts about about the communist utopia, but um, it's pretty much expected that you would understand the importance of um, of a critique of patriarchy. And in order to pull that off today, in these last years, as a white feminist. Um, under the regime of intersectionality, you're supposed to show your concern for other forms of oppression. And that has led um, to, to um, rather performative expressions of concern for all kinds of victim groups, including supposedly the, the, the Palestinians um, and thus Israel under the BDS kind of... Uh, sense of things is is regarded as a colonizing entity that should be abolished. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you were looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. In your essay, you refer to a term, scholactivism, like a combination of scholarship and activism. Now, you said that American and British academia are, are very much sort of the heart of the BDS movement. They've done the intellectual work for it. Uh, what what kind of scholactivism do they do they come up with? I mean, what what are the ideas that their scholasticism has tried to put in place and activate? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. That's an important term, scholactivism. I think I I took that from Kerry uh, Nelson's work. It's got at least two sides. One is the um, rise of theory, 
of literary theory and cultural theory. And the other is the decline of standards in the humanities. So with the rise of literary theory, and I guess you could say the fall of literary theory, because there was a golden age in the 80s and 90s when it was really quite interesting, uh, back when I was an undergraduate, and I think you were in graduate school. But since then, it became a prescription of political opinions. And uh, as such, it, it became a laundry list of causes to support and, and of villains to uh, vilify. And, and Israel became one of the villains as a so-called settler colonial um, state, as if the Jews were pirates or something who just, you know, their ship happened to wash up here in, in, in Palestine, no connection to the land, no right to be here. And um, all of that's completely bogus. But um, with the rise of theory, we were given a, a prescription of a way of thinking about um, a series of victimhoods on the one hand, and with the decline of standards, I'm sorry to say, I'm embarrassed to say because I love my discipline still, even though it's been corrupted and I think it's broken. We've just got people in the humanities who don't read very much, don't write very well. A friend of mine, um, uh, John Ellis, who has a great book out called The Breakdown of Higher Education, was on a Another rival podcast recently. I probably shouldn't mention Hillsdale. Uh, Radio <laughs> no, we, Hillsdale. we support one another. Oh. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I would never have had the chutzpah that John has to say this. But he actually said that faculty in the humanities today are so stupid. And that's a quote. That's not me. That um, it's very difficult to, to deal with them. Um, so when you, when you ask about what's, what's going on there with collectivism, it's people who've been indoctrinated by literary cultural theory that says the West is always wrong, patriarchy is the problem, men are wrong, whites are wrong, Jews are wrong, because like Whoopi Goldberg, they, they can't see racial distinctions unless they're, uh, very, um, self-evident and, uh, um, at the level of phenotype. And, um, you know, on, on, the, on the one hand, on the other hand, you've got people who just, like Donald Trump said, they're not sending their best. We're not getting the best people. Yeah. And, and I and, don't say this lightly. It, it, yeah, in a field that's just gone, gone, gone to hell. And when you talked about decline of standards, it's really that the theory, much of the theory was taken as a dismantling of the norms of objectivity, of evidence <laughs> gathering, right? Of, of yeah. you know, consecutive reasoning, of linear thought. Uh, and that yeah, this, this kind of licensed the introduction of activist goals into scholarship where they actually do not belong in, in any ordinary definition of scholarship. That, that the, what the theorists did was, was tear down, you know, some of the epistemology of, of the discipline that opened the way for the activism. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's right. And what that boiled down to, Mark, was, I'm afraid to say, but I've seen it with my own eyes, the sense that you don't need to know anything because knowledge itself is a social construct. <laughs> what you need to do is have a passion for social justice. If you feel that something's wrong, you should fight against it. And, you know, you don't have any prior 
responsibility. You, you to 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 know what you're doing or to prove your case. Really, you should be passionate uh, about what it feels like to be an underdog. Because, as you said, for 20 years in there, somewhere uh, 30 years, I'm afraid something called deconstruction. Although I don't think that it was a very accurate um, reception of, of of what was best about about deconstruction. I think there was a lot of good in, in, in deconstruction, even in Derrida, even in Paul Demont. Don't quote me on this. Are we being recorded? There's good things in Foucault, <laughs> but not in Foucauldians, not in Foucauldians. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the American translation into, uh, of, of these French thinkers, I mean, too often it, it just led to forms of cliqueishness and sectarianism. And often, you know, the, those guys went through a real steep difficult classical education oh, they they had to dive early. into they had to dive into the history of, of western thought and Foucault loved to be in the archive oh. more than anywhere else and they actually had little patience with people who who didn't do their homework which unfortunately characterized a lot of their American followers but let me, let me ask you about someone who actually was somewhat of an opponent of deconstruction back then but still a, a different kind of theorist Kerry Nelson, the author of the two books that you have uh, chosen to review. Now, Nelson himself is attacking the Scholactivists, but he himself was and still is a big leftist. He was a very prominent leftist in leftist academic in in the in the nineties and, and into the aughts. What's made him turn on Nelson, this issue, Kerry Nelson? Yeah, Kerry Nelson is an interesting figure. He is himself a scholactivist, although he now derides the scholactivists. But he's always managed to make it something interesting and significant, which most of them, the vast majority of them, do not. Kerry Nelson has been an activist for the AUP, for faculty rights against admin. I know so many people he's helped personally. Um, to, to deal with quasi-litigious uh, situations. He's the godfather of cultural studies. Now, that's a very mixed uh, <laughs> statement of, uh, of, a, of a kind of achievement and a kind of failure. He helped to bring in cultural studies, which has helped to bring down the standards. Um, it's, it's broadened our sense of what's worthy of intellectual inquiry, but it's, it's actually resulted in uh, what we were talking about earlier, the, the, the decline in knowledge and in capabilities of faculty and a, and a loss of a sense of seriousness about what it means to do academic work. So Kerry, who helped bring about cultural studies, realized, you've got to give him credit for this, uh, around 2014 or so, the MLA took up a, a question of would we boycott Israel as the MLA now, Kerry ha has a wit about him, and he said, why does the MLA need a foreign policy? It'd be one thing if it was the Political Science Association, and you know, I think they've also voted this down, by the way. Most academic associations in America have been confronted recently with a BDS proposition, and most have turned it down. Kerry and I got interested when the MLA in 2014 proposed boycotting Israelis Israeli academics, Israeli scholars, who I got to tell you, sometimes to my chagrin, are about as far to the left as American 
<laughs> scholars. I'm a center right guy. Center, center right. I, I, I love my Israeli leftist colleagues the way I love my American leftist colleagues. But the BDS movement wanted to boycott Israeli academic institutions. And Kerry Nelson, who had helped to facilitate the decline of standards by creating the notion that we could study Madonna videos as well as we could study Milton, woke up. And together with me, we published a book called The Case Against Academic Boycotts of Israel. Uh, with my help, uh, uh, and with uh, Kerry got, got on board, and, and with Kerry's help, uh, because he knows his way around book publishing, we, uh, we started to, to make the case against uh, boycotting the only uh, democratic uh, liberal uh, state in, in, the, in the Middle East. Hmm. Now, what, what is Nelson's main argument against the, the BDS scholar activists? Does, does he get specific? Is there a general thread? What do you say? Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's that's very important to uh, to think to, to, to think about because he's really he's published several books now on this, and he's got uh, a couple of main couple of main points. Uh, one is something we've touched on, which is the terrible symptomatic decline of standards that that the BDS collectivism represents. If you read the books of Sari Makdisi of Judith Butler, of Stephen Salida, of Jasper Puar. And if you compare them with Kerry Nelson's critiques, you come away with a sense that this is a discipline that's lost its moorings, that produces works that don't make sense, that are unintelligible to native speakers of English, on the one hand. On the other hand, his, his second point uh, is that they have a palpable antipathy for one little piece of, of real estate on earth and one small group, a state the size of New Jersey, a population the size of New York. It's just strange, while they seem to have abandoned any sense of, of what it means to do serious scholarship, on the one hand, that they're so passionate in their um, demand that the world wake up and, and eliminate from the map and, and get rid of a UN member state. That's what they claim that they're after. And, and I take them seriously. It's not North Korea. It's not Cuba. It's, it's not Russia that's got them upset. But it's the one UN member state that has received over three-fourths of the votes of the UN uh, General Assembly to condemn a UN member state for, 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 for various uh, ill deeds and uh, evil deeds in the in recent decades. So in in that sense, they're um, you know they're up to date. But what they're really on board with is a, a kind of uh, new uh, form of anti-Semitism that goes under the name of anti-Zionism. When Jews were primarily a religion, Jewish religion was in doubt, as we know from European history. Hitler thought that Jews were a race. They had a problem with their blood. Nowadays, the center of Jewish life is the Jewish state. You know, uh, what do you want? Uh, you used to say we were, not you personally, rootless. Now we're, now we're rooted. And um, the BDS uh, scholactivists, according to Nelson, are both 
underperforming in terms of scholarship and obsessed in a weird way with a very uh, particular place. You, you mentioned Stephen Salaita. I remember his case. What happened there? Who is he and, and what happened there? That's an interesting case. Stephen Salaita, who I feel bad for, had been hired at the University of Illinois. He left a job at another school that I forget the, the name of. He had been the author of several books, including Israel's Dead Soul uh, and other works, which if you read them, if you read them, if the listeners are curious, please don't waste... I, I, no, I shouldn't say that. Go and read them and see. They, they are very dense works of theory, and they're very... Um, Garbled. Hostile. Yeah, it's really <laughs> a low point, to be honest. I don't like to say this about a, a fellow academic, but he's now an ex-academic because he was hired at University of Illinois in 2014, but before his hire was processed and approved and f fulfilled by the uh, administration, he tweeted on Twitter during a, uh, a war between Israel and Gaza in 2014, one that I was here in Israel uh, to, uh, to enjoy. Um, um, Hamas was launching rockets on us. We were, we were diving into bomb shelters. We have something called Iron Dome, although AOC and her colleagues in the squad wish that we didn't. It just, it's a defensive weapon that shoots rockets out of the sky. And uh, during that conflict, um, some Jewish kids were kidnapped in Judea and Samaria, as we call it, or the West Bank, as it's called, and murdered. Salida, who had just been hired, but his hire had not gone through, tweeted, I wish they would all go missing. He tweeted, what's next? Bibi Netanyahu, the uh, Israeli prime minister, wearing a necklace made of Palestinian children's teeth. Um, he tweeted, and I quote, uh, Zionism making something shameful into something admirable, that, that, that being anti-Semitism, taking anti-Semitism from something shameful to something admirable in the form of anti-Zionism. Well, unsurprisingly, when the, the, the um, higher-ups looked at this candidacy, they, they declined to confirm him. And uh, my colleague, Nelson, uh, 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 supported that decision. And um, so Stephen Salida serves as a good example, I'm afraid, or a bad example of scholactivism, of the decline in standards married to the new anti-Semitism. Uh, for whatever reason, um, this uh, micro group where less than 1% of the world's population makes, uh, makes a target for, uh, for macroaggression. Final question, uh, what, what is going to be the, what is it going to be the fate of this BDS movement? I mean, is, are, are there young people signing on or are these just, these just uh, 80s and 90s leftists finishing their careers with it? That's an interesting question. They've had a number of losses. They lost when they tried to get the Modern Language Association to boycott Israel. The MLA said no. Russell Berman, a former president of the MLA, uh, led the fight against that. 
along with Kerry Nelson and some others of us. Um, the Historians Association has proposed this a few times, and Jeffrey Herf and David Greenberg have fought them and succeeded at beating them. They've had a series of losses. The Asian American Studies Group and the American Studies Group um, are boycotting Israel. But I got to tell you, I'm speaking to you tonight from Tel Aviv. I, I can't find anyone here who's noticed. <laughs> okay. yeah. so, so to answer your question, I, I, I really feel that after almost 20 years, they've lost some steam and um, they're never going to go away because they're obsessed. But, uh, you know, Ken Marcus, uh, who was at the um, Department of Education under Betsy DeVos, has helped and other with some laws and some other legal organizations that have just asked um, state governments in America to be consistent and, uh, and, and as such not to allow for selective uh, uh, boycotts of any one ethnic, uh, ethnic nationality. So I think that they're on their way down and out, but that they'll never really go away because anti-Semitism it, it, it was called the oldest hatred in my parents. I, I was born into a family of survivors. Never, never advised me to to anticipate the end of it, but rather to go on living, to defend yourself and 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 to make a life for yourself. And that's that's what I think we'll do with BDS. We'll just go on without them. And um, I, I I think they've had their fun, but they'll they'll never give up. The SA is canceling Israel. The Organization is Center for Academic and Intellectual Freedom at Northern Michigan University. Uh, Professor Brom, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877 332 2930.